Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read this, and you're going to listen, and you're going to stay on the line, and you're not going to interrupt. You're not going to speak for any reason. Some of this you know. I'm going to start at the top of the page. Meticulous. Yes. Methodical. Educated. They were these things. Nothing extreme. Like anyone, they varied. There were days of mistakes and laziness and infighting. And there were days, good days, when by anyone's judgment, they would have to be considered clever. No one would say that what they were doing was complicated. It wouldn't even be considered new, except for maybe in the geological sense. They took from their surroundings what was needed and made of it something more. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. You know how this works, is that Mike and I watch films separately and talk about them on the podcast for the first time. Sometimes one of us will offer the other one a movie, kind of like it's the royal taste tester, and then we decide if it's pod-worthy. Today, we're talking about a movie that we've both enjoyed over and over, um, over the course of time, so to speak, uh, whatever you want to call that word now. And today, we thought it would be a great time to talk about it. What movie are we doing, Mike? Primer. Primer, 2004, written, directed by Shane Carruth. This is a movie that I think turns people into fanatics. It is This movie is a wormhole down which you move. The other night, Mike said, let's do Primer. And to be fair, I was like, all right, yeah, I've seen Primer a bunch of times. I watched the first 10 minutes, and then it's like turning on Jaws of the Godfather. Like, you're in. You're in for the duration. Here I go. So in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the movie. Mike, what, draw you, what draws you to Primer? I've been watching this movie, I want to say, for about 15 years. And I think you've been I think you've been watching it longer than me. But my experience of this movie was that it was uh, for a long time it was for free on YouTube. Uh, and I, I'm talking about like original YouTube. One of the original videos posted there was you could you could go watch Primer. So I did. I don't know 
maybe this is my secret question. Do you know a movie that handles time travel better? I don't know a better version of time travel in any movie. I think there's movies that handle it sexier. Right. But this movie, I think, is the Ur time travel movie. I mean, we, it's funny because we've already done Tenet and Tenet is basically this movie with two hundred million dollars because this movie was famously made for seven thousand um, dollars. I've read that every take you see is the one and only take and that Sean Cruz, he wrote it and he was in it and edited it and did the music. Um, so you can have two hundred million dollars and make Tenet, which is a lot um, sexier. But it's I think this is the best time travel movie there is. It's the only time travel movie that I feel wouldn't make a good graphic novel. And I've thought about it a lot. There's no zap. There's no, uh, you know, whoopoo. There's no effects. There's there's no nothing. And I think that the gritty nature of that movie, it has all the attraction of something like the Blair Witch Project. And it's just as incomprehensible, but it's also much more fun. And the camera holds still. And I thought it's so funny because I thought of the Blair Witch Project watching it again. And I love what you just said. It's it's messy. I think that one of the themes of our podcast, as you know, is, you know, what's our theme about budgetary restraints? The more restrained the budget is, the more unrestrained is my joy. Yes, right. And the, the epitome of that movie is The Wicker Man. So if you want to find out where we really came across that idea, listen to our episode on The Wicker Man. So it's not like time travel in Harry Potter or Star Trek or something. It's messy. And I think that the plot is messy. The film looks grainy. I love the fact that the, the original box is made on a ping pong table. They use a weeble. Um, everything about it is messy. And I mean that as a compliment because, because the premise is really, what if these software engineers really stumbled upon this? What what would that be like? And it wouldn't be they were on the bridge of the enterprise. No, it's always like uh, it's always like the discovery of penicillin or something is is the point is, you know, if we were going to do a movie about time travel, it's always a secret government conspiracy. Right. And we finally crack the code. But the idea that they're tinkering around with something else and they discover time dilation is the right. is, is the essence of the movie. And I think it's what makes it believable uh, is that you can move through time but not space, and I think that the 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 low budget goes with kind of the single dimension because uh, I I don't even think that they had that many locations to play with. There's the in there's the interior of the house, there's the other guy's apartment, there's the warehouse, there's the street, and then there's the set for that uh, backyard party, and then there's a couple of shots inside offices. But again, w- one of the reasons you have to do it on the first take is because you only have the first take. Right. The reason it's believable, I think, and it's so funny, you said government agency, because as you remember, in Tenet, the, the protagonist is the guy who stumbles upon, there's this CIA division of time travel, he's got to go catch Kenneth Branagh. What makes it also believable is the fact that the science is not spoon-fed to you. I have no doubt that Sean Carruthers, you know, is has the whole thing mapped out when he made it. That's not really interesting to me. What's believable is in the beginning when the engineers are all talking and they're engineering gobbledygook. I can't follow it, but I feel like I'm a fly on the wall. Yes, you you feel you feel like you're listening to some other kind of uh, conversation, which it is the kind of it's the kind of background work that makes things enjoyable yeah. or makes them seem easy. I have I, I agree with you. I have no doubt that he did his homework, but that doesn't mean I want to see the homework. And also, let's. This is a good time to talk about this. I think that what's funny about this film is that 
you and I have talked about red arrow videos on YouTube, right? Yeah. Where people will make these videos and they go back and they show a scene in a movie and point to things with red arrows to show you, oh, this is where, you know, Batman first realized that or something like that. And there's, and those can be kind of fun. Sometimes they're sillies. This movie was made for red. I and mean, this whole movie is a giant red arrow. But what's interesting to me is that you can go on Reddit and you could watch videos and there are people who have have taken great pains and done this really well to show you how the box works and what happens in each timeline and what's going on. But I, I don't I'm not really interested in how the box works. I just I, it's good. It, they keep making doubles of themselves. But what I think is good about this film is that it humanizes the ethical questions behind time travel. Right. Abe is really nervous about it. And he has the, the fail-safe machine. And Aaron, of course, gets really, really um, you know, fired up by it. And he wants to, you know, at the end of the movie, he's pretty much Lex Luthor. He's gonna build a giant one and kind of take over the world. So it's two, it's two, I think, you know, ethical approaches to what would happen if the box worked. Well, I, I agree with that. So, and let me state for the record what my problem with Red Arrow videos is. Go. I get that they're fun, and I get that. I get titling things, uh, 26 things you may have missed about Batman Beyond or something like that with the little red yep. arrows. But I think that the problem is that the chronological analysis of a movie is not the same thing as a close reading of the movie or understanding what this movie is about. Primer, and not to be frightened about it, but Primer is not actually about time travel. It's about the way that friendships break down with success, right? Why do I even like other people? Why does he hang out with Abe? Because Abe is the only other living, breathing person in whom he can have an interest. But what if there were three different versions of you and the other versions of you, you could take an interest in them, which is really just self-interest and it, and it took you over, right? The, the, the higher the stakes get, the more that I care about me. And it's a way of, it's a way of dramatizing this. First, they cut out the other two. Uh, then they cut out the girlfriend and wife. Then they only have each other. And finally, it's different versions of selves against different versions of selves teaming up. In fact, Abe's self-conflict about the ethics of time travel is dramatized by him drugging himself. Himself. Right? That, he puts that mask on himself. Right. And again, not, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's that, that's the joke, right? It's The, the joke is dramatized. It takes something which is belongs to interiority if you had more time to act and more takes, and it dramatizes it as an exteriority. And that's that's the way that this movie works. And so I love Red Arrow videos. They're fun to watch. We, I think we watch a couple on The Prestige, but right. But the question is, what is The Prestige about? Like, what what's actually going on in Primer? Yes, you need to understand the literal plot, but what's going on beyond the literal plot? And the wonderful thing about Primer is that there are things in the literal plot that I'm sure I could study all weekend, like how they find, you know, Mr. Granger has a growth of beard when they go outside, when the kids hit the car alarms. And like, so that means at some, all I could, all I could figure out was that at some point in the future, they told him because they wanted the funding from him and that he found out about the box and he got into a box and they're trying to undo that as well. But I think the fact that there's these loose ends aren't an example of sloppy writing. It's an example of the theme of the movie, which is that we had this startup and it kind of went out of control. And now we, we're, we're, we're playing whack-a-mole trying to get everything back in order. Right. Uh, the, the, the feeling of getting caught up in a startup like that would be, wait, what year is it? Wait, what day is it? And again, that's dramatized from something in the interiority and, and, and bringing it to the exterior I don't actually know if Shane Carruth and I are on the same wavelength. I think 
that watching this movie, I may have seen this movie eight or nine times. I think the effect of seeing it eight or nine times is that I really think that he is somebody who cares about the literal plot down to the last detail. Me too. And I'm exactly the opposite. And but it makes it enjoyable for me. We're we're opposite people, but I'm I'm his er viewer because I don't actually care. I just love the essence of this movie. Welcome back. So in part two, of course, we always talk about, you know, key scenes or big moments. Dan, I think yours is before mine. Mine is when, uh, you know, just to review how the box works, you know, you turn on at nine in the morning, you go to a hotel room so that you don't interfere with the timeline. At five o'clock, you go in the box, you go back to nine o'clock and then you live the day again. And there's one part where they're talking about that. And Aaron says to Abe, um, remember Abe's like the, the conscience of the, of the startup. He says to him, well, then like, you know, your, your double went to work all day. Like, you know, what, what, what did you, what did you do all day? And he says, I don't know. I guess I just worked. And I, that line always made me laugh. Cause I've seen this movie, like you said, like eight or nine times. And when I watched it this time, what's so funny is that I thought to myself, that's how so many of our days are spent, right? What did you do last Thursday? I don't know. I guess I went to work. What did you do with that work? Oh, I could check my email records. I could check. No, no. Like, what did you do all day? Account for all that time. You were at work for 10 hours. What did you do? And your answer would be, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I just work. And I think what's funny about this film is that despite all the cool like time travel stuff, it, it makes you think about how you spend your time and about what time is made of. My my kids will make fun of me because sometimes I'll get up super early on a Saturday to like read and watch a movie and stuff. Because of course, if you have a full time job with responsibilities, you know exactly why somebody would get up early on a Saturday. Why? To squeeze in the stuff that they love. Yeah, to squeeze in the stuff that you love. Right? You want to maximize the time because we know that time is finite. Now, imagine if you had the chance to like do it again or. Imagine if you had to account for every second, which is the problem these two guys face, is you have to start accounting to accounting for what are you doing at different times of the day? And you have to be back at the box by nine o'clock until you find out there's a fail-safe box and you have to be back by five o'clock in the morning until you account for the fact that Aaron put a box inside the box. And I think that the movie makes us think about our relationship to time. And that's a great literary theme. And I think it's done here really, really well. I think also it touches on one of the golden rules of fantasy or science fiction, which is that you can either play with the setting or you can play with the way that people react. I'll give you an example, an opposite example. You can get away with something like American Psycho if you said it in the 80s that we know, but you have somebody who's not acting like somebody you know. But if you set a movie on, uh, you know, in Narnia or on the Starship Enterprise or in a universe where a couple of guys discover time travel, they better be schlubs just like you and all your friends because that's how people buy in to the movie. So you can't play with their behavior. So the more rigidly normal these guys are, you know, playing trash get ball with one another uh, or connect for or, or thinking about, uh, you know, work or, or other stuff that they're doing, the more you buy the premise that they may have discovered time travel because they they have to be in some essence like the people that you know there's got to be some familiar element for for us to be drawn in yeah because remember in the beginning when they discover it their first discovery is that the mass of the thing in the box starts to change and then the second discovery is when he kicks the car batteries out and he's like look at like how many bolts is this pushing out 24 and he's like well now like is this so then the first time you see the movie you might think is this like a perpetual motion machine they've invented like uh, uh, but then eventually the, the the gain goes down and they realize it's time travel and the thing with the fungus you you you're caught up in that that um joie de vie that discovery 
and then of course it turns. Yeah, so what, it, it's it's about the the corruption or the fermentation yeah. uh, of joy into something that you can get right. You can get drunk on until you don't know who you are, when you are, or where you are. So, what's your moment? Uh, my, my moment is when Abe kidnaps himself to save the world because he's afraid of the invention of the conversation that they're going to have, um, and the it's just uh. They're underrated actors, I guess, is what why I want to talk about that scene. Um, for for him to kidnap himself, for them for them to be able to dramatize in a single take, right? There's no acting coaches in this movie, right? So the the script says you're Abe number two, and you're gonna gang up on Abe number three to make sure that there is no conversation or discovery of the box, so that we can regain control of the single time narrative. And he's like, okay. Right there, there's no other, there's no other dialogue. There's, there's no coach. Uh, Shane Carruth is the director, and he's got to be in most of the scenes. So, I just think with with very, very little to go on, almost nothing to go on, they managed to craft performances where it seems like Abe number two is a continuous character, Abe number three is a continuous character, because otherwise, the whole that whole scene where he kidnaps himself, and of course, um, uh, Aaron played by Shane Carruth also kidnaps himself. He hides, himself, enough, he hides himself in the attic. He hides himself in the attic so that he can pretend to be the earlier version of himself to have the conversation the right way so that Abe doesn't know which, right? So, but, the, but the point is, of course, there, there's no multiple Aaron's. There's no multiple Abe's. Uh, but those scenes are played so well that it's totally comprehensible what's happening. And the only way to dramatize that is through inflections and characterization. You you have to imagine trying to compose your face in such a way that you know that time travel's a thing as an actor, right? I don't think that they do that at the actor's studio, but somehow these guys managed to pull it off brilliantly such that they could make a scene on like a, a you know, a barely steady cam uh, about this guy kidnapping himself. Welcome back. So in part three, of course, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. Uh, you know, sometimes we do some obvious titles. Dan, what do you make of the title Primer? This is a very strange title. And it's not the title, of course, that you or I would have would have come, would have come up with. But I think, well, first of all, what's a primer? Or sometimes it's called a primer. It's like a basic manual on a subject, right? And this kind of movie is a basic manual on time travel. Here's what it is. Here's basically how it might work. Um, and, and, and you can kind of figure out what are the ethical ramifications of that. Like, okay, but what I really like and what struck me this time is, you know about the idea of the prime mover? You know that idea in philosophy? You ever hear this? Yes. So the idea is that, you know, how did the universe get created? How do we all get here? Well, it, it could have come into existence, but there had to be a prime mover that starts with Aristotle. And it goes all the way through Aquinas. Like some, someone had to press start. Someone had to, had to get the things moving. And once that thing or that force or God or whatever it is, got things moving, then every single thing is a reaction to it. It's like the Big Bang. You know, as you know, the Big Bang is a metaphor. There was no Big Bang. It's, it's, a, it's a way to talk about this moment. So I think that Aaron wants to be the primer. He wants to be the prime mover. He wants to be the guy who makes things happen. So often in life, we are things to, we are people to which things happen. We are passive and things happen and they go by and we're trying to like figure out, you know, how to, how to cope with these situations. And there's a line that happens twice in the film. It's in that when Aaron's leaving the phone call in the beginning, and he says, "Um, you're, I'm going to play this, and you're going to listen." And he's talking to his his next self, and he says, "Um, they took from their surroundings what was needed and made of it something more." 
They took from their surroundings what was needed and made it something more. And I think the idea of the movie is what would that be like? So Aaron wants to go through and do the Rachel party over and over and over until he can get her boyfriend locked up who shows up with the gun. Abe is kind of scared by that. And he says, wait a minute, we can't keep like monkeying around with this. And Aaron wants to be the prime mover. And at the end, they go their separate ways when they have the fight in the airport. And he says to Abe, like, you just want my wife and my kid. And, and Abe's like, you're nuts, man. And Aaron abandons them. He goes to some other country. We don't know where he is. And he's making this giant box. And, and I think the premise is if you make a box big enough, what could you put in there? Could you put the world in there, so to speak? And that's who Aaron wants to be. He wants to be like Lex Luthor at the end. He's going to be the prime mover to make things happen. Right. He wants to adjust things like God, certainly. <laughs> right. At, and at make the it the way I want it. The way I does, want it. He doesn't understand the consequences. And of course, the, the funny thing is um, all of Abe's lines uh, are unbelievably trite. And so you're you're caught between the impulse to be the Aaron and the impulse to, to be the Abe, right? A Abe is going to watch over the family quietly he's he's going to be their secret batman because only he knows what's happening and he's trying to adjust things back to normal and evil aaron is going to go try to adjust things and remake the world in his own image yeah because aaron says at one point don't you understand i think it's a scene where they're getting gassed or gassing up the truck and aaron says we're pressing like, don't you get it? Like, we're, we we know what's going to happen so we can go back. And that's why he has the ear, earpiece, right? He's three seconds ahead of everyone else that day. And and all the side effects, like when the, when the ear starts bleeding and when their hair writing doesn't work, Abe sees that as very concerning. Abe is like, we're doing something we don't really understand. My joke about the handwriting not working is that become they become like bad Xerox copies of forms you fill out of DMV. They just get like they're and they, they get sloppier and grainier. But be that as it may, Aaron Aaron doesn't care that his ear is bleeding. Abe is like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And and Abe does he wants that's why he made the fail safe because he wants to go back to a spot where the horse is back in the barn and Aaron is like the horse is out of the barn. It's too late. Well, one of the jokes about startups is that uh people tell you about things that they've done and you go oh i want to do that and there's a trite thing that everybody who has a successful startup says which is look man we all have the same 24 okay right we, we, everybody has the same 24 hours which is that's part of the joke of primer right but if you miss because says no we don't right if you miss well if you misuse your same 24 you you can you can get extra time, but you can't actually get extra time, right? You you sink the time in, and then your your time is of a lesser quality. In fact, Abe puts himself in a position where he not only doesn't have a girlfriend anymore, but he's the shadow phantom husband who doesn't really exist, right? What what would it be like to have a family and to run one of these things? You'd be a guy who provides for somebody else, but is not taking part in what you're providing for. And so, and and the movie is full of metaphors like that, or or um, jokes turned literal. It reminds me of um, of the way Kafka works, right? Like uh, in the Metamorphosis, when this guy wakes up and he's a giant cockroach, it's it's literally what it would be like to be a creep, right? He, tur he turns <laughs> right, into a right. creep to, and be, that, that, to be an insect, right? Right, and that's the way that's the way Primer works with a lot of the same kind of. Uh, laconic phrasing and just kind of wait what was that and you could watch it or read it or go back through the passage 10 20 times and not really fully comprehend what's going on but but the joke still works
Aaron wants to control the narrative. Talk about, you know, that phrase people say today, controlling the narrative. He wants to control the narrative by living through the day over and over and getting it exactly how he wants it. But what he doesn't take into account is that somehow Abe can't really articulate it can't really articulate this, but it cheapens your experience. It makes your experience less genuine in a way where, like you said, Aaron is on version 12 himself. So he doesn't care about his wife and kid anymore. The problem is I could live through the same day, but if I live through it 24 to 30 times, I'm not the same me. Right. So that's the way time travel works is like, I cannot, I cannot have control because if I do this, the thing such that I could have the control, I would not be I. And and again, the movie is 80 or 90 minutes of what that would literally be like until you're not the same I, right? That that you always mark the narrative shift by the change in a character from the beginning to the end. And Aaron is not Aaron from the beginning to the end. But because they discovered that you have everything that you need for this time travel in a single experience, I think that they the joke is that they build this thing out of old refrigerator parts. And so when they're sitting there and they're talking about their other startup with the refrigerator right there, the parts that they need are there the entire time. Yeah. Great movie and great pick. So we hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Primer. Check it out on YouTube or wherever you want to see it. You can find us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You can also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. And check out Primer. Even if you've seen it 10 times, you, you know that how addictive this movie is. We'll see you next time.